It's Monday, March 15th. It is the day after everybody lost an hour of sleep. So you're punchy listening to this. Just imagine how we, we just feel. just want to wake up in the red tier faster. Ah. Just want to get to the red tier. <laughs> can't come fast enough. This is LA Podcast. And now we're here. I'm Scott Frazier here with Hayes Davenport, Alyssa Walker. You are listening to Red Tier podding we, we are not in the same room still because that is not allowed but you can eat indoors 25 percent capacity we can have two of us yeah. in the same room but not all three i think in the red tier we have to do reduced capacity why can we have two of us we we can only have one one out of no less than one <laughs> less than one <laughs> you're right so one of us will uh, go to eat at a restaurant and record it inside <laughs> How are you guys doing this morning? Well, I I think it's Red Dawn for a different reason. It's the day that I always remember that we voted to abolish daylight saving time. And I've woken up again and it's not abolished. We voted Why? to, to uh, fully embrace daylight savings time, abolish standard time. Why hasn't that happened? Uh, that has not happened because the vote that we took was to authorize the legislature to make changes to daylight savings time, which they did not previously They've have. They've declined so far to do. They do now have the authority to mandate year-round standard time, which is allowed under federal law. But there is no federal law that says that states can opt into daylight savings time year-round. So just mm -hmm. nothing has happened Presumably, this is something with now a dim-controlled Washington, D.C. that could happen very quickly, but I'm not sure. It's apparently not anybody's priority, so that's unfortunate. I just I think of this as being the bad day every year, the bad weekend. It's the shortest weekend of the year. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just... It's just not 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 nice. Um, Although last year it was great because everybody we had just had our like coronavirus lockdown realization, and so everybody was like, "Well, isn't this great that this bad thing is happening happening? But at least it'll be lighter at night." Do you remember people saying that? <laughs> yeah, actually, I'm, I think people are still <laughs> saying that online. A um, uh, friend of the show, Lauren Nelson, was posting on Twitter. I saw about we're about to have a little bit more sunlight and isn't that great and i i was like yeah that is great because i forgot that along with that goes at least a short interval of personal stress but it, it is i think a sign of hope people are returning to the streets we can get into la stories i have one basically about the the what appears to be a sort of return to normalcy or a closer version of normal life in LA. Okay. I mean, I just, I started going out for my runs, which I kind of fell off of because I had like the combination seasonal affective disorder and also like just like the COVID blues. And I just sort of stopped mm -hmm. going outside at all. Uh, so I, I went out and I was running yesterday and, or, or on Saturday and I felt it was strange. Like there, there were just so I, you kind of forget how many people live around you in this city during during the pandemic. And there were so many people out. It, it was weird because it was different than previous, like during, I don't know, the summer of last year when it just seemed like people weren't 
were not taking distancing seriously. There were a lot of people just like revisiting businesses that had reopened, doing it in what seemed like a more conscientiously socially distant fashion. I don't know. It did feel sort of like a felt felt sort of like a page had been turned a little bit. Obviously, we're still in the the thick of it, but it was nice to just like see see people out enjoying themselves in public. It was it was um it was a nice moment for me. Alyssa, do you have an LA story? I mean, I had a similar realization, I think. I've been still really afraid to take my kids out to do stuff because children are unpredictable and like to get in people's faces and stuff. And uh, so I, we've been really still very limiting in our activities. But yeah, like we went to Griffith Park and the pony rides are back open. And it's, wow. it's an ideal distanced activity. You just mm-hmm. get on a horse and then you ride around a mm-hmm. corral for a minute. But yeah, it did have that sense of they've been begging for, you know, a year to be able to do these things. And so they slowly will be able to. But it does make me scared because I know people that are coming here for spring break to like vacation and be tourists and go to hotels and go to restaurants. And it it just is going to be so easy to have a very small blip in our case numbers that could change things again, I think. I don't know. I'm mm-hmm. still very worried. So, Well, we'll talk about that in one second w- with COVID stuff. Of course, the listeners are clamoring for a rain check to follow up from last week oh, where we check on the yes. rain. It did rain this week. We got a full-on inch on early in the week. And so we did pass 2017-2018. So, see ya to those suckers from <laughs> four years ago. And so now we're at 5.5 inches. Uh-huh. Still pretty brutal. That's bad. Uh, it's supposed to rain the day this episode comes out a little bit. I don't think it's going to rain a lot. The next, uh, the next year that we have in our sights is 2012-2013. Come on, baby. We can do which it. Which was 5.85 inches. I think we can get there yeah. between like the rest of March and April. I think we'll squeak that one out. And April's the end uh, of the water year. Is that uh, June? Is okay. but like you know, by it, like functionally, April yeah, is the end of the water year. Come. We average. And it is supposed to rain. Ocean. It's supposed yeah. to rain on Monday, right? This yes. week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just a little bit. And then after that, we have 2013-2014, which was 6.08 inches. We might be able to get there. It would be nice to not have uh, like it, to be looking up at any of those like really really bad drought years but this is this is not good when it when it rains it davenport pours is that acceptable that's right okay that's right (laughs) that's our new segment our our weather i don't want to laugh but i am laughing all right let's do covid chat big milestone this week i've been tracking this waiting for this to happen for a a long long time Finally did. We dropped below a thousand people currently hospitalized with COVID in LA County for the first time since mid-November, wow. which was like the the beginning of the the big surge sure. that, that, that we are now clearly on the other side of. We also had triple digit 
new cases uh, one day this week, which is also a milestone. I don't remember the last time that happened Mm-mm. instead of a thousand plus. And vaccinations are getting expanded this week. As of today, as you're listening to this, people with various medical conditions that make them more vulnerable to COVID, including pregnancy, to a certain man on the chat. Uh, I, look, we've been waiting for this day. We, we've been waiting yeah. for it to include Sarah. So here we go. I don't think you've made uh, and, a formal announcement on the show about this, Scott. I know that you let the cat out of the stroller on Twitter, but I don't know if you've told our listeners. That was my that was, that was my my <laughs> only way of of making that announcement. Yeah, my my partner Sarah and I are expecting a baby. Yes, a COVID baby. Have you done a gender? Can we do a podcast gender <laughs> reveal at some point? COVID uh, baby. Yeah, we can do that. I'll, I'll prep an explosive device and... Yeah, set something on fire. <laughs> and also anyone who is unhoused is now eligible for the vaccine as of Monday. So big moves in combination with the, the new red tier uh, restrictions with indoor dining being open at 20, uh, 25%, museums being open at 25%, retail is now open at 50%, a uh, lot of expansions happening. And... At the same time, there's a lot of... You all have been reading about this, uh, the, the Blue Shield program? No, what is this? So this, the state contracted with Blue Shield, right. the insurance company, that does not really do this, to supervise how vaccines were being allocated to different counties. And they made it so every county in California had to sign a contract with Blue Shield for their algorithm. Uh, and you know, like, yes, they're, they are an insurance company. This is not like their core comp, they're not a, like a logistics company sure. in this way, but I guess, no, it's not like any company has really done this before. So, but the way they set it up is that they judge your efficiency on allocating vaccines, getting them into arms, the expression that Alyssa loves. And if they, if, if, if you don't like, like. The better you do, the more vaccines you get. So it's kind of like the no child left behind model where like if you if you do or if you don't get as many vaccines out there, you don't get as many delivered to you. We love that model. Um, that's that's yeah. a fantastic yeah. way to create an enormous gap in, in delivery yeah. of service. Um, and no counties in California are, disag- are, are agreeing to this deal with Blue Shield except for Kern. Kern is the only one that has signed up. LA County this week said that they don't want to sign the deal. So they're doing a workaround where the deal is just going to be with the state for all these other counties, not with Blue Shield. But Blue Shield is still, they're still the state is still using their algorithm. Uh, but the county just didn't want to sign this contract with this private company for vaccine. This is a, uh, a weird, I mean, it's like it reminds of the like long ago, a year ago when the the governor signed that unilateral deal with BYD, was it? To get like all the PPE, millions of, of oh, units right. of PPE. And it was like a weird deal, not really properly vetted. And, and it was just like a mess. And now like they've done it again, but for... Uh, well, I guess it's good that the counties have the ability to and are taking taking the ability to say no to this. But uh, weird that it keeps happening. 
The school deal advancing. The LAUSD board unanimously signed off this week on school reopening. But there is still some back and forth. Some uh, some parents are still saying that it's not a, like a, a totally safe environment. What what is what's going on, Alyssa? With that, I I mean, I first of all appreciated not only the announcement, which we knew was coming, but it was good to hear it. You know, very full throated. We've got a, a deal, but that it was announced yeah. right after the state of the state address, so Newsom couldn't use it as like a something that he had done in his speech. <laughs> literally like the moment the That's speech right. ended they had the announcement clear that was clearly intentional yeah right? i mean i why I, else would you announce this i thought at, so. at night yeah right right i I, I, thought, I don't know i'm less i i i think that could have been we like we had multiple media unions come out of like bargaining or something in like in the middle of the night and they all announce it right when the deal is struck because it's just like right after it, it could right it after this could have been just Literally a fluke of timing but it also might speech, not have been which was in los angeles which i just felt like he yeah i don't know i think they had the deal earlier and they they sat on that for a few minutes I is what so i'm saying too. Uh, <laughs> He's at Dodger Stadium. I mean, come on. So yeah, I, it's it's everything that we've talked about in previous weeks. Um, the teachers are getting vaccinated. It's very exciting. The schools look great. I got to go pick up some books um, for my daughter and everything. The classrooms are prepared. They're going to do what it's probably going to look like for uh, the younger kids at first is you do, you pick morning or afternoon and then there's like an hour changeover in the middle of the day where they go through and do like the deep cleanings of the classrooms very quickly. Um, so you're, you're splitting classes into two or three segments. Um, not every student will return. So I think it'll probably work out fine. Um, and then they continue mm -hmm. to do the same type of remote for anybody who wants to stay at home. And I think what you're alluding to, Hayes, is the, um, some of the questions from some of the older parents mm -hmm. at, Mm -hmm. about like whether or not to send them back for some of the high school, middle school, high school, it looks like what they're going to be doing is at first, because it's not, it's, they can't have as many kids and, and they're still, you know, they're, we're, they're a tier behind. If you think about it that way, it'll really just be like a screen that you go to and do your zoom in a room is what they're calling it. So you go to the classroom, you can go to the school, you can use the school itself, but it's not going to be the same type of interaction with other students and with a teacher that you would have for the younger grades yet. It's not saying that that can't happen sooner, but that's just what they are going to have in place at first. Um, so so even for, for older kids, they don't even have the like homeroom model that they have for I, I think younger what, kids. You're I just think, sitting Right. Because I think the, the thing is, when you're older, you change classes throughout the day. So like for if you're elementary school, you're in the same room all day, basically. So the, to prevent the mixing between rooms that you do when you go to like, yeah, homeroom, science, bath, whatever, you stay in one room, you do your school all day at your computer um, on your screen at your desk with your headphones. And then at least you can go to somewhere, you can see your friends a little bit. But it I, I don't know how... That's a tougher one, you know, unless they start the whole school year again and put kids in the same classroom that are going to be and the teacher moves or something. I, you know, I don't know how that that's going to work. It's a lot more complicated. But oh, no, I was just saying for us, we're we're very happy. And a lot of the parents I've spoken to are are just so happy that it happened in a way that the teachers really do seem 
genuinely like they got uh, everything they wanted and that they're really excited to return. So it will be probably around April 19th, April 20th, I think was the date they were saying. That's, I mean, that's, that's kind of what, what I was going to say too. Like I, I, what I'm really curious about is like, was, what, what was, what was lost by like, by actually allowing this to proceed in a way that teachers were able to lead it, you know, like that this is to me, it seems like an emphatically good thing that we were able to come up with a deal that was supported by the teachers union that was supported by the people who are, who are in, entrusted with, and also who's, you know, who's, who's calling in life it is to educate students, to let them determine how this is going to proceed the discourse online and not, not just online, frankly, but a lot of the discourse around this has been about like, <laughs> I just remember there was, was it Josh Barrow posted on Twitter something like, uh, I don't remember if this was his line exactly, but somebody said that the, the way that the left sees police unions, they should realize that teachers unions serve that same function and like need to be, basically broken as a political force, which is ridiculous in a lot of ways, insulting in a lot of ways. But I, I, I'm, we've been through this. This is like 2011 mm-hmm. shit when like Waiting right. for yes. Superman <laughs> came out. Yeah, it's, right. it, it, we, ha- we have been through it. And, and I'm just like, you know, here, here we are. Like you said, Hayes, we're on the other side of a massive surge. We are seeing an improvement in a lot of areas and also now... Alyssa can testify to the fact that there are major improvements that have been made now sufficient to make the teachers actually support support going back on this timeline. So I just feel like that seems like it was a good process that worked. And I'm, I'm kind of curious if, if either of you don't think so. Well, what was lost was trust between a lot of teachers and elected leaders who decided to use them as just like a like a political cudgel to like to boost their own reputations with like with white parents that were mad about this and like but like what i'm i'm still very enthusiastic about is like the the relationship that was pretty frayed in lausd between the board and the superintendent and the teachers appears to be very strong i just cannot say enough about like through covid how those that that, like how the district and the teachers worked together and had this unified front with the district saying we're not going back until it's safe for teachers and while providing services the entire way through i mean yeah also what like there's been like a like what they did with covid meals yeah is such a great example for how services should have been provided all the way down, which is they just did it. Mm-hmm. And then they went and got the money later. Yep. And of course that like, you know, the state and like whatever else, like they, they provided. That's what we should have done with room key, like all of these other projects. Computers you just too. do Same it thing. And, the, they just, and the money will come. LUSD yes. has been impressively yeah. service oriented in a way that mm-hmm. we wish lots of other city and uh, local government agencies would be. And, and we see that in a, a variety of ways over the course of the past year. It was a real sort of a circling of the wagons, I mean, especially as you have rumored 
mayoral candidates like Joe Buscaino of the city's 15th district making a political issue out of forcing a reopening before teachers were ready to go back. That, like you said, that could have been something to drive a wedge between the school board, the superintendent, and or the union. It was not. It really sort of solidified them as being able to say, look, we are going through this in a responsible manner. We're following state law and also we're negotiating with each other. This isn't a case where either side had been unwilling to come to the bargaining table. It was it was actually a, a more healthy bargaining process than many we've seen, including during the recent strike. The district has given out, back in February, they, they, they marked 100 million meals. They, and that's not just for kids. Yeah. It's for anyone it's in the community it's who needs to amazing. eat. But they have kept so many people alive in this in this process. Man, it's wild. Yeah, and and we should also note just other school districts. Long Beach, which was ahead on their vaccination, they're sending. They'll be back by the end of the month of March, yeah. and they'll also mm-hmm. be able to do. I don't know exactly what their plan is, but they're being able to add secondary um, students sooner as well. So there, there is like a, a really good, I don't know, map for how to do this being piloted in Long Beach, and hopefully we'll be able to learn a lot from what they're doing. We had some reports come out this week, so this Oof. really blew my mind. Like a year after the pandemic began, like that, like to me, like is more believable than the fact that we are coming up on a year since the the Black Lives Matter protests and uprising in the summer. It's almost mm-hmm. a year after that. Yep. That is hard to believe. That, to me, is very weird. I was just having uh, a conversation with somebody, too, about how, like, in 2020, you felt like, like or at least I did, in the second half of 2020, felt like the there was a distance between when the protest started and the start of the pandemic like it felt like we had been in that for totally. a while and forever and now it's just like those two events seem so compressed together yes that was early early pandemic in retrospect and so what we got this week was an after action report commissioned by the city council specifically council members mike bonin and marquise harris dawson requested a report of the lapd's response to the May and June protests. Uh, it was led by a guy named Jerry Chaliff, who has a long history with the with the LAPD. Scott, talk about Jerry Chaliff. Yeah, so Chaliff is a guy who actually has been with the LAPD for a long time, joined the department about 20 years ago under Chief Bratton, and over time became a reference point for the, the the so-called constitutional policing, basically like a subset of internal investigators looking at improving police policies, making sure that they are behaving in ways that will stand up under scrutiny of federal judges. This is, a, of course, an issue for a department that for most of the first decade of this century was under a consent decree federally by the the Justice Department. So he kind of carved out a niche for himself as an expert on practices by the LAPD and has now become or now been called in as an independent investigator for this after action report. He was he was president of the police commission in the early 2000s. Mm -hmm. 
until he was that which was uh during the consent decree but was fired by mayor reardon in 2003 as people i think at the time kind of thought as a scapegoat for the just like bad morale and increased crime and the reform efforts not moving quickly enough right um and that reardon sort of wanted to pin the blame on chaliff this report is very extensive it covers like a, a history of a, a large protests in Los Angeles. Uh, it gets into a day by day accounting of. I mean, it's a interesting read. It's like an engaging read. Mm-hmm. It like it does a day by day accounting of the protests last year, uh, and it also gets into a number of findings of poor performance by LAPD at the level of the like upper management in terms of messaging in terms of how the uh, the officers on the ground reacted to protesters it's been called scathing and in local media and it also came with a set of recommendations for reforms going forward so scott talk about what you observed uh what stood out to you in this report well i i think that it is is rightly being called a, a report that is that is very critical of the the police response. Of course, the the LA Times picked up that they that that the, there was fault given throughout the LAPD organization from top level from the top level really up to and including the chief and down to the line level officers who are forming the skirmish skirmish and face off lines on the streets of Los Angeles. There. There are a lot of things in here that are more more excusing of of the way that the police have handled these incidents in terms Mm -hmm. of the way that the protesters are characterized. There are, I think, a number of points that stood out to me where there is like sort of an uncritical like we observe caravan caravans were observed bringing criminality into the city those sorts of things which reports definitely are out there of but they accept that and on the other hand are much more hesitant to accept for example the use of police batons as 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 weapons against protesters which of course there were also many many reports of they say that that was unsubstantiated there are a lot of pretty shocking things in this report though for for one just on a factual level, they say that 4,000 people were arrested between the night of the, the first night of protests, May 27th and June 2nd. So some really incredible arrest numbers by the LAPD. Uh, hey, can I just go through yeah, them day by day? Yeah, this is uh, great. So starting on May 27th, that was the first day that um, the 110 was blocked by protesters. And there were some pretty rowdy protests downtown i remember there was that, that one a cop that was like trying to arrest someone and a bunch of other people someone came with the, the hit him with a skateboard and then he got like dragged off it mm-hmm. was it oh got pretty God. intense mm-hmm. yeah i remember that, that night there were yeah. only seven arrests and i say only only in comparison to the other days but like that is very only seven that night is pretty shocking and it's very clear that after that they just they made a decision to, to change policy around arrests. Because the next day, the 28th, there were 265 arrests. And then uh, here, here are the ensuing days. 866, 
700, 1,242, and then 956. Wow. Incredible. Wow. Uh, and and the, the number of arrests comes up primarily in this report because the 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 report team the investigation team says that the LAPD was was not prepared with field jails to actually house that number of arrestees mm-hmm. more so than perhaps being critical of the number of people who are actually being arrested another note about the arrests that is very interesting in a know your rights sort of way is that most of the people that were charged, according to this report, were charged under uh, Municipal Code 80.02, which is failure to obey a lawful order by a police officer and infraction, not, not an offense that you can legally be transported away from the, the scene of the offense for or detained for an extended period of time. Of course, that did happen to untold numbers of people. Uh, and it seems like mm-hmm. LAPD officers did not realize that by charging people with 80.02, legally, the extent of their authority is to require identification and a, a signed statement to appear. And then the person should be released. So we've talked in the past about LAPD using mass arrests as a way to suck the energy out of protests. They clearly did that here. I mean, four four thousand arrests in the the span of five days, six days. That that is that is something that really does have an impact on on the ability of the people to express their right to protest. I also want to say that this was the consequence that like uh, the 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 policy to release people and not hold them in field jails for long periods was the result of a settlement, mm-hmm. one of many. For this exact kind of situation, uh, this was uh, specifically the settlements around the Occupy protests in 2011, where the plaintiffs in the lawsuit against the city were put on buses. They were held in handcuffs for a really long time. They didn't get to use the bathroom or have water while they were in custody. It's exactly what happened this time with way, way, way more people. Uh, And that settlement was for two and a half million dollars, just to give you a, a sense of just how enormous the bill is going to be for these protests when it eventually comes through. Yeah, I mean, then something similar happened with the Black Lives Matter protests dating back to 2014, around the yeah. time of, of the Ferguson protests. This is another key point that stands out to me in this report. There are a lot of things, these after-action reports that occur after major, major events, major deployments of law enforcement throughout the, the, the city, they make these recommendations, it seems like, time and time again. And uh, and even in, in one very, I think, important moment in this, in this report, the investigative team says that the department has shown basically an unwillingness or an inability to implement some of the recommendations. So you see... But surely these, surely these will be implemented. Surely the ones in this sure, report. Yeah, I mean, so it's like some uh, some of these um, recommendations come up time and again. Um, not to kettle mm-hmm. people after you after you give them an order to disperse. Basically, not to not to wall people in and prevent their dispersal after you've told them that they can't lawfully remain in an area. That's one that has been recommended numerous times. Like you're saying, not not keeping people handcuffed or using plastic zip ties, keeping people 
without the ability to hydrate themselves or on buses and locations where they're not they're not aware where they are. All of these have been recommended over and over again. Um, and it seems like the the police don't really make those changes of their own volition. I mean, to to the to the extent that this is a this is an independent investigation, you would think that we might expect a little bit more. You, you would expect more of a, a, a critical eye to be given to the institution of the police, but we don't really have that here. And I, I think that there is a questionable degree of actual separation from the police department itself. This is this is not a team that really had the ability to, um, a, as we've seen in fights with the sheriff's department, to like demand that records be turned over. One thing very striking to me is that the investigative team notes that they don't have the number of less lethal, those the rubber bullets or sonic grenades or tear gas, anything like that used by the police because LAPD simply declined to make that information available to them. Uh, and so that that seems like a substantial piece of evidence to be withheld by LAPD. There is a lot of, I think the general heft of the, the recommendations tends towards police need more resources. There are numerous, yeah. there are numerous recommendations made to change the structure of the org chart, create new high-level offices within the LAPD to handle these types of situations. Uh, more training. More training. I mean, this is an interesting one because one of the things that comes out here is that you have a 40-millimeter sponge round. Yes. This widely, widely documented, this was, um, if you were out during the protest or if you saw footage of them, you probably saw officers holding these lime green shotgun looking things. They were firing these rounds indiscriminately at people. uh, And yeah, widely documented most in pictures of hematomas. Mm -hmm. Yes. And like exploded. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, people required surgery. I think, I think, I don't know. I mean, so the damage caused by these was was extensive, and it was well documented in in social media and in the press. That the the interesting thing that this report makes public is that for a long time, only Metro Division was allowed to was authorized to use these rounds. And only in situations where, or, or predominantly in situations where lethal force had been authorized. As of a couple of years ago, the department made a policy change allowing anybody who had completed a 10-hour course to, to carry and use these weapons. Now, these particular or this particular course that authorized the the officers to use the 40 millimeter sponge rounds only two hours of that was about actually using this device the rest was about other crowd control techniques etc but it was two hours out of 10 hours and it was just about how to wield the device and use it against a single stationary target so in uh, no way similar to the conditions that were prevailing during the the crowd control 
so-called setting of May and June of last year. Nonetheless, the I, I think there were thousands of officers who were at that point authorized to use the weapons, and they did use them seemingly without regard to the fact that when you're saying something should only be used in a situation where lethal le- lethal force is cleared, that is, I think, a clear indication of the type of damage that this can uh, incur on people. And I, I think that we just should note that there's not really any mention throughout this report of the treatment of press by the LAPD. Mm-hmm. There's a single mention mm-hmm. that KNX 1070 uh, ran a segment about police violence against journalists. It is not clear whether or not the team tried to investigate those reports independently. They don't make any mention of it. With those, like th- th- that one detail about the training for the less lethal rounds, that they only got two hours and they were just shooting at a stationary target, uh, I saw in a lot of different articles. And the implication of that is, is is kind of what is suggested in the in the reforms, which is more training for this stuff. Let's spend like thirty million dollars to have them go out and like skeet shoot with these things, like <laughs> until they know how to be more accurate with them. I guess. Right. I mean, like it's just more investment in, in like weapons training, and when you set that against another report from this week that the LAPD put out about the the dozens of fatal shootings since 2018 that they have also found resulted in uh, were like were the, the product of errors by LAPD that led to deaths. This is how they phrase it. They have there's no shortage of training with guns at the lapd you you like you can never say like oh they just needed more training on this some of the like the commentary around this report said like well it's like you're in the heat of the moment and like it like it it affects your like fine dexterity and things like that and so that's how people that's why they don't shoot someone in the leg they just like shoot them in the the chest and then shoot them when they're lying down and it's like why why are we spending more money? Why is the recommendation to spend more money on less lethal weapons training just so we can get to this point where they where the excuse is just like it's the heat of the moment when the exact same thing keeps happening? When is it more about what we've done in the past with like tear gas and like other very dangerous anti-protest weaponry? Where we just like, we don't use this anymore. Yeah. Or it's very, very, very specialized. I, I mean, it, sh- it shouldn't be used. And, and I think that, that this is kind of what, what, we're, what we're saying, where this report is like ideologically disposed to believe that the, that the police should be in these situations and that the way in which they were behaving was, on the whole in line with what they should have been doing like there there are not sweeping Mm -hmm. like there are i think structural reforms that are recommended here but there are not sweeping changes that would be brought about as a result of this report to that to that point you know that the they actually say in this report they completely demur on the question of quote whether any of the uses of the less lethal tools were inappropriate or in violation of policy Uh, and they say that that is something to be determined by department investigation with the inspector general and the board of police commissioners i mean this again it is it's you know it's a classic 
fox guarding the hen house situation like they they are they are the sole determinants of whether or not um what their policies are and whether or not they are following those policies so it's it's kind of mm-hmm. a losing game to to try and to make that pay out for for the citizens of the city also there is a there's a really important quote just that I, I think we can conclude on where the the review team says that the their goal is to help the LAPD adopt strategies to help minimize the extent to which protesters quote transfer their grievances toward the police. Um, so I think that is that is very telling. I think that is very revealing of the intention. It's created something of a grievance feedback loop where protesters. <laughs> transferred their grievances in one direction of the skirmish line and then the police created significantly more grievances with sticks that were then you know it just like went back and forth i get. i guess i agree that that should be avoided and, if at all possible and, and just to note like something else i think was brought up there's another article out like has kind of a, the the response to the response that kevin rector wrote later in the week that you know, in light of the 30th anniversary of Rodney King, which was last week, that they, it's, they were worried that this was creating the same kind of culture again, you know, within the police department or within the city. But there's two other like really big protest related reforms that we had the Democratic National Convention in 2000 and the May Day mm-hmm. Melee in 2007. And if you look at those reports, it's the May Day one in particular, which happened in MacArthur Park. It is almost like reading this report about mm-hmm. the recommend about the mistakes they made, the quick move to less than lethal, and and how they just failed in any way to anticipate that a protest which happens regularly. This was the same like immigration protest that happened every year, that they just failed to understand what was going to happen. So it's it's mm-hmm. are they going to learn? anything from this if this only happened in 2007 and the place that the things reforms they put in place weren't even followed less than 20 years later yeah i mean we we've, we've got this is a situation where the, this is a an independent review but it is obviously captured by the the willingness of the police to be forthcoming not necessarily clear to me that there is a widespread effort to get community opinions about the the what they observed during police action it is much more so focused on on police and and limited clearly by by their uh willingness to be honest or self-reflective i want to talk about one section before we move on there are a lot of observations about failures by the lapd but there's one section about public information and messaging and i just want to read some of this one because this was wild to me the observations section reads the department's public information officer was not given responsibility for messaging and was not asked to contribute to the creation of a department message There was no consistent messaging done by the department during the multi-day events, which allowed various factions to use social media, various (laughs) factions. That is and, and traditional media to fill the traditional, to fill the information void and drive their own messages. 
Instead of the public being made aware of the violent nature of some of the protesters, including shots fired at officers and physical attacks on officers, looting, vandalism, and arson, social media sources displayed edited videos, edited videos, showing what appeared to be officers attacking peaceful protesters for no reason. In any case, there was no response or explanation from the department or city leaders indicating the full version of the video showed the officers were actually being attacked. And under the findings, it says that there was no plan for messaging to the public and that there was a lack of unified message from city leaders to de-escalate the violence so that peaceful protesters could exercise their First Amendment rights. Number five, that second one there is just incorrect. There was, there certainly was an attempt by virtually every city leader to say Mm -hmm. time to de-escalate the violence. Everyone like uh, on uh, the and uh, and that police are being attacked. They all said I've never Paul Coretz. I've never seen more public elected officials in Los Angeles come out to make public statements as during that time. Totally. Right. Paul Koretz, I remember, said that like something very similar to what Chief Moore said about the vandalism and violence taking place, like being like somehow responsible for like George Floyd's killing or being like equivalent to police violence. Like, I'm heartbroken. This was a very. Do you want me to read it? Do you want me to? <laughs> I just. Yes. <laughs> I had that one Thank always you so much. queued up. Should I should have had it pulled up. I'm. Here's what he said. I'm heartbroken over the senseless death, senseless death of George Floyd. The violence and looting we saw last night was no less troubling. Vandalism no is growing trouble, in the yeah. Fairfax, dist- Fairfax area of my district. I've asked the LAPD to be fully supportive, but clamp down on criminal criminal actions. Yeah, and so like th- this this whole idea of if only the LAPD had messaged properly to show that police were also being attacked that this would have de-escalated the violence is so backward. Mm-hmm. Like the, like is just so objectively incorrect. The only thing, the only message that arguably de-escalated the violence, you talk about like May 27th to June 2nd, it was pretty much going off in the city. And then June 3rd, things started to kind of cool down. Mm-hmm. Part of that is that there was a, a change in police policy, it seemed, to not conduct as many arrests. Because June 3rd to June 7th, there were only 80 arrests in that five-day span. But also, June 3rd was the day that Garcetti announced that he was cutting $150 million from the police budget. Like, that is messaging. Right. That's yeah. saying, that's conciliatory messaging. What right. they're describing here is defensive messaging. Right. Which, like, might have made things even worse. Similar to the way that she, what Chief Moore said on Monday, on June 1st, made things way, so much way worse. worse. Yes. And I, I will mean, note that Hayes is one of those factions because he did reply to Paul Kretz's tweet saying, you should apologize for the statement and resign. So you were, you're part of the social media problem. I, I'm one of these factions. <laughs> yeah. I was so mad I couldn't see. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the 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 last thing uh, that I want to say, because the longer we talk about this, the more that I recall from this report. But oh, that's right. The, there, there's one thing, too, that was that was interesting, which was the timeline. There's a detailed timeline in this report, and it is very much skewed toward the the police narrative of events. Like, for example, on. May 27th, which was a Wednesday, it talks about the protesters being on on 
freeways and it's like oh and some protesters started vandalizing california highway patrol vehicles like didn't something else happen that day oh yeah there was a widely shared video of a california highway patrol car running over oh, a person yeah. who was protesting intentionally oh, my God. and then yes yeah. after that some chp vehicles were vandalized but no literally they talk about edited vehicle is there any mention of the lapd vehicle that ran yeah. someone over downtown no, no there's not uh, but but presumably that is included in the the decontextualized events that if you had only yeah. seen if only the, whole- the lapd right. twitter account had posted <laughs> right. a video showing <laughs> someone <laughs> punch the door if only there of were more tiktoks <laughs> Before they were run over, Chief mm-hmm. Moore yep. surely that would have had all the protesters the in the city say, say like, "What are we doing? This has gotten out of control." I mean, uh, more training would probably help. Yeah. <laughs> all right, we do have something else we need training. to talk about. Yeah, we have something big we want to do. I we had uh, we wanted to spend some time on uh, a couple different LA Times stories that uh, I think we we don't necessarily have time for, but they were both good. One is an Anna Phillips story about how bad LA is in terms of the deals that corporate polluters get from the feds. There's a, a fun anecdote in there about an EPA administrator having to get on a plane to like to attempt to stop one of these horrible deals that uh, the Scott has talked about in the past with companies like Exide in, in in different parts of the city that was a good article from the 11th and there was also a article by Ben Oreskes and Doug Smith former guests on the show about the Echo Park encampment which we've talked about a number of times and has become kind of a flashpoint around homelessness and the rights of people who are homeless and anger from house neighbors in the vicinity um and we we should talk about it more in the in the future but it was an article that covers a huge amount of ground and i think it's worth it's worth reading but now we have a segment that we uh, that we've been wanting to do for a while and i think now is the time marking the week that the 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 various factions to recall Gavin Newsom announced that they have achieved two million signatures. Uh, they're ahead of schedule. That was their goal for the the, the total number of signatures that they were going to collect to get their recall on the ballot to get the recall election to happen. Alyssa, you're terrified. I'm terrified. I I have been terrified since the moment that. I realized that some of the people that are mounting this recall campaign are not the typical Republican right wing people who always recall the governor all the time. Mm-hmm. And that in an, in light of Prop 22 passing powerfully, <laughs> um, I yep. now don't feel like I trust the electoral makeup of the state in a way that will protect our left-leaning institutions. So I express this to Scott and every time I say something, Scott's like, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. He's not going to get recalled and replaced by Republican governor. And I say, Scott, it's not that a Republican governor necessarily that I'm scared about. It is some random TikTok star. So (laughs) hence this conversation. (laughs) 
a, a, TikTok, a random TikTok store supported by the cryptocurrency libertarian Some... state. <laughs> okay, I, I feel like if you... So we want to... Scott, we're, this segment is just Scott attempting to publicly calm down. Well, I, okay, well, let's, let's, let's start with the fact that if you couldn't even pull the name of a TikTok star, I think that means that they have a limited reach among the, elect, uh, the electorate in the state. It doesn't have to be that, and I'll just be a moderator here. <laughs> it doesn't have to be that big. If if like if the recall, wait, let, let, let's set the rules on the uh-huh. recall. Let's do the math. Let's if do the math. More, yes, if more than fifty percent. So like the way the recall ballot works is the question one is should Gavin Newsom be recalled? Right. Uh, and you just answer yes or no. And question two is if he is recalled, which which of these? 500 candidates should replace him mm-hmm. as uh, has been talked about at length it, it's a very low bar to get on the ballot you only need a few hundred signatures people do it for publicity reason it's, it's very very easy i cannot imagine how long the like the list of candidates is going to be for this one mm-hmm. like if i like you know there will be like entire high schools that we'll get on. I mean, like you probably have to be like, I don't know what age you have to be, but like a lot, a lot of people are going to get on this ballot. So that means that someone could win with, I mean, like theoretically a single digit percentage of. Yeah. Uh, and, and let's talk about that because this is actually not the case in, in other jurisdictions within the state of California. For example, in the city of Los Angeles, we've had a couple of attempted recalls, notably for Councilmember Mike Bonin and the mayor, Councilmember Paul Krikorian faced one. None of these go very far. But in the event that they did, you would have a similar situation where you have, should they be recalled? Yes, no. And then the successor election happening at the same time in the event that they do get recalled. However, for city of LA and other jurisdictions, they've taken the pretty common sense step of having a runoff. So the person who succeeds the recalled official needs to have a majority of the the electorate voting for them in that particular election. For some reason, the state of California in its infinite wisdom has opted not to do that. So theoretically, yes, you could have you could have millions of candidates and somebody with two or three votes could be the next governor unless that is that is um, an edge case that is somehow not provided for here. There is no runoff for this election. That being said, whoever has the strongest block will win. I'm not convinced that, God, I also am drawing a blank on TikTok stars right now. I'm not convinced that any of them will be able to put together that coalition. That being said, I think what what is going to happen here is the recall, which seems almost certain to go forward, is not going to be successful. Were we in a different stage of the pandemic, I would be maybe a little bit more concerned, particularly with the the lack of a runoff. But I do think that there is there's a lot that has changed and shifted in the course of the past month or two in favor of the current administration, contrary to the situation with our proposition votes from November, which I agree with Alyssa that that 
also I, it, that that shook my confidence in the the electorate of California, which I, I don't have a ton of to begin with. But the difference between the propositions and the recall is that politicians have a D next to their name and and no on Prop 22 did not have a D next to it. Otherwise, I'm sure it would have been successful. Um, you know, this this is the kind of thing where it's uh, it's not necessarily a good thing that that party official uh, party affiliation is going to rule the day or determine a contest in the abstract but in practice here i think it works in our favor and it prevents for example a so-called moderate republican like kevin falconer from having even uh, a whisper of a chance to be the next governor of california I, the 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 voters of California are are pretty clear. If you are uh, if you are somebody who has not seen fit to distance yourself from the Republican Party at this point, you are not going to make it to statewide office. I think that that is the case pretty safely, even in the absence of a recall, even in the event that. Newsom is recalled, which again, I, I don't think that is I don't think that is a likely outcome here. I mean, I definitely see what you're saying about how maybe I was more anxious a month ago when the state was more fully closed and there was more reopen energy fueling this. And a lot of even people who were Democratic said they signed the recall even people who were Democrats signed the recall because they were angry about aspects of reopening, but also the EDD scandal, which we talked about a couple weeks ago. And But now I see even more commentary about there are some valid concerns f- about Newsom, not as many as, say, other governors uh, that are being ousted this weekend, Possibly, um, but there that any kind of any kind of plan now needs to be launched by the left to say what the messaging is going into this. Because yes, a bunch of people are mad about EDD or reopening, but and there's also some very good criticisms for his governance. But what's the plan? For people, is or do we start a campaign right now to be like, keep him, but keep the pressure on, or something like that? I, honestly, it's it's just <laughs> no, it's great. terrible. I'm sorry, Alyssa. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not, I'm not criticizing Alyssa. I'm saying like that does sound like what we're gonna but get. But that is I'm what sure. we have to start doing. That's that's what needs to go into place on like Wednesday, right? No, I mean the 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 messaging. I think that is most powerful is no no recall like do do you want republicans to to end run around a public that hates them and get into right. sacramento and the answer of course is oh. no but to where Alyssa's coming from you know like there is very very there's a huge amount of energy among the people like putting together this recall and among every republican in the state to get rid of Newsom, and that's not going to go away. Like it's 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 just gonna like keep growing over the next few months. I agree. Like among Democrats, and there are so many more Democrats now in this state, much higher percentage of Democrats than there were in two thousand three. It's just like complete. Like it's 
the, the like the shift has really continued in that. Scott direction. did make a chart. I I had one night of sleep because of that chart. Yes, go yeah. on. But no, none of them will really care. You like you talk about messaging. Like I'm not even sure there's going to be like the and also like like the approach that Newsom has taken is to kind of ignore it so far. I don't think he's ever mentioned it. His state of the state was widely considered to be a campaign speech. Uh, but like, he's just kind of like acting like it's like something to just like move on from when it kind of needs to be framed with the level of terror that Alyssa feels like you, you have to like, it's a special election. You need turnout Mm -hmm. to stop the recall from happening. And if you just kind of act like it's not a big deal, then only the really enthusiastic people will show up to vote it's you know the, these these special elections tend to be more right leaning anyway. That's how I could imagine it. Could, you could have like this big surprise. It's just like one side was mobilizing and the other was delegitimizing the whole thing, and we just like wake up one morning and we're like, oh fuck! Like yeah, this- I mean, like oh, I, I guess I'm trying to think about I'm trying to think about how predecessor Jerry Brown would have handled this i don't know that i don't know that you want to be like spreading like i'm i'm terrified as your or you should feel terrified as as your message if you're gavin right. Newsom. obviously you don't want to uh ignore it because you're right you do need people to actually turn out and vote in this election i i do think more motivating than more motivating than that is like w- we actually need the voters of this state to show up and shut down what is basically a Republican insurrectionary attempt Yeah, through the ballot frame, like, if, like, if this happens, it will be a disaster. And, like, as bad as Newsom's policies have been on, on so many fronts over the pandemic, there is just so much money coming from the state to different, like, like a pipeline of money coming to so many very important different places right now that with with republican leadership would just vanish and it's just like we can't play with this uh and so i think that messaging of like this has the potential to be a huge huge catastrophe for california just as we're attempting to emerge from chaos Mm -hmm. for the first time in a very long time but I don't know when they, they, they feel like they have to start doing that. Is it when it's official that the election is happening? Because that's only a, like you only have a couple months at that point. Don't they get yeah, to decide when the election is? Yeah, we don't. That's what I was going to say. Do we really know? I mean, I, look, I looked up the timeline for 2003 and it happened so fast, like so much faster so than fast. I had remembered. It was like within a few months we had a new governor who had just started. Maybe we have to look back and see like who stars in a movie who stars in the biggest movie of yeah. earlier this year, and then that will be the governor of California later this year. It would maybe it would have to be like one of the last movies that was like in theaters before the pandemic, which will mean that right. Sonic the Hedgehog will be our exactly. new governor. That's what, I'm, that's, what uh, I, and, that's what we need to do some kind of statistical analysis. In a few months. But yeah, I think people are not really thinking about how fast this will happen. I don't know. It, I think they said it. It might be later. They, it would be later in the fall just because of the pandemic, because of making sure that people could feel like they could vote. Um, but uh, like Sonic, I don't want yeah, that I don't, like Sonic the Hedgehog like always a... says, you got to go fast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the, I, I think that I, I think that what actually happens when the governor is. So I think that normally 
I, I I could I could be wrong here. I could be off base, but I think that normally like the the governor would get to actually set the the special election date for the recall, but because he is the party under consideration of recall, I think that that would probably be delegated to the Secretary of State, which of course is Dr. Shirley Weber, who he personally appointed to that position. I wonder if I wonder <laughs> if she will pick a a date that would put more or less pressure on the governor. I, I I'm not I'm not sure. I think that it's probably pretty safe to assume she won't <laughs> attempt to make things harder for Gavin Newsom. The the thing to me that that I think is is most clear is that when you are when you are messaging if you are if you're Gavin Newsom if you're an ally of his when you're messaging around the recall it makes sense to 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 say like you know we've been through something very difficult as a state putting as much emphasis as possible on the fact that by the time people are voting on this things are going to look very different than they did. If it's in if it's in fall, if it's in November, things look incredibly different than they did the previous no- November, presumably. And just to say like there's not really a there's not really a reason even if you are unhappy uh, that you should prefer basically what, like whatever the chaos is that that a Republican administration brings over that and and I think that that is something that uh, you can marshal people's interests around can I just like looking back at the 2003 election I just want to like underscore it, an incredibly dominant performance by Arnold Schwarzenegger this was a race with 135 candidates on the ballot mm-hmm. I mean do you remember the ballot do you remember seeing that ballot it was like you you couldn't I mean, if we're going to do on this touchscreen voting then you'll be scrolling for you have to like to have a search function. Oh, for the names. My God. On the ballot. Yes. I mean, can you imagine voting? OK, go on. Go whoever on. whoever is the first name on the ballot is going to win. Yes, it's going to be like a a a a a a a a a a a I think they start the way they do it is they start at a random point in the alphabet and then it is like alphabetic after that. It was very strange. I don't know what randomized. I thought it was fully random, too, because it doesn't make any sense when you look at the ballot. Anyway, go ahead. Yes. Okay, maybe it is. But Arnold was very high up in the like in, in the 135 candidates. Regardless, there's that many people running in this race. Arnold finished with a higher percentage of the popular vote than Hillary Clinton Damn. in 2016. Damn. And he finished with 48.6% of the vote in a 135-person race. That is unbelievable. Yeah. And how much did the no vote yes, no versus yes question, what was the, the spread on that? Do you remember? 55.4%. In right. favor, uh-huh. right. and uh, I mean, also, if we're talking about what it took to actually recall Gray Davis, let it not be forgot that uh, a big portion of that was Enron, a huge part. I just watched the Alex Gibney documentary last week, uh, "The Smartest Guys in the Room," which talks a lot about Enron's role in the California blackouts, which happened. I either didn't know this or had forgotten it in. December in yeah. winter. Uh-huh. Yeah, yep. in winter. Because it wasn't yeah. really induced by like the like the energy 
use. It was right. by energy trading that yeah. it, this was allowed to happen. And the, the it seems like the state couldn't really do anything about it. That's what the the documentary implies. So we are in we're in similarly unprecedented conditions. However, I mm-hmm. think you know the the state bore a lot of the blame at the time for things that were seen as localized incompetence, but really were corporate malfeasance. Here, you know, we have a, a global phenomenon, which is, I think, pretty clearly not not originating from from the incompetence of the government. Although you can, of course, have, uh, and I do have criticisms of how how the state has handled it. Obviously, if if there were if there were a runoff, if there were some sort of mechanism by which you could feel reasonably sure that a random candidate would not win without any kind of qualification as of course did happen in the case of Arnold Schwarzenegger you might be more inclined to take the possibility of voting yes seriously however i think it's pretty it's pretty obvious without that that a no vote is required unfortunately is is mandated regardless of regardless of of what you feel yeah. about Gavin Newsom not a fan personally i don't even think Kevin Falconer would win honestly he would not. i mean he's an anti he's an anti-trump republican he's splitting whatever meager votes that constituency can gather with john cox who ran for governor very unsuccessfully a couple years ago against newsom mm-hmm. i think the, the 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 trump republicans in california of which there are millions would mobilize around someone incredibly scary uh, and I and I don't know who the like the more well Alyssa you actually mentioned someone who I think might run and w- would I mean at least has like a, a larger profile over the last couple of years who is Marianne Williamson oh, that, yeah that was my response to Julia Wick's question of uh, who I think she said like who like random person or what, what do you think would right. run? And then, yeah, I I could see it. I could see it. I can Ooh, see anything. I can now. see it. Nothing it's it's will whoever. Um, it's who. It's yeah. It's whoever can me. consolidate the largest block. Kevin McCarthy could win, for example. Yeah, Kevin and McCarthy. Do, you're, do yes. you want Governor Kevin he McCarthy? Totally win. He has a much better shot than Kevin Falconer. Uh, and I do not want Governor Kevin McCarthy, no. frankly. Of the and there that's only a fraction of the horrible Kevins in California who, <laughs> who will run in this race. There's Kevin Kiley okay, so, of the state legislature. Yeah. Uh, Sorbo. So maybe that's the the campaign is no on Kevins, no on recall, no on Kevins. <laughs> Kevin can wait. <laughs> Kevin can wait. <laughs> and now we have the the name of our episode. All right, Alyssa, well, do you feel okay, any you better? Convinced me, Scott. I feel okay. a little better. I have to, I'll, I'll do some, some check-ins if I have any future questions and we can address those. But you mostly could, I want to see a really... You know who could make you feel better potentially is Marion Williamson. Maybe we could have her on. Sure. And <laughs> she could, yeah, lay hands on you and expel the, just the some, dark energy. Just some healing, healing crystals to get me through the next few months. All right, all right. <laughs> that is our show. We will be back next week. Thank you to Brian Holmes for producing. Thank you to our listeners for subscribing to our Patreon at patreon.com slash LA podcast. We will see you soon. Bye. Bye.